Well, welcome. It's great to be together again. Milton Bible Church online, one church in many homes. Uh, one of the, this is probably one of the most exciting times of year for me, if not the most exciting time uh, during Easter. Easter is the greatest celebration in the Christian calendar, and it is the highest point of, of, of the church life because we celebrate um, Jesus Christ's uh, death, burial, and resurrection. And it's through his resurrection that we have life. Through his new life, we receive life. Well, we've got a number of uh, Easter plans coming up that I think you're going to really enjoy. One of the things that we've been doing is working with some of the other churches in town in order to uh, have a Holy Week series of Easter kind of meditations and moments. And that will be during Holy Week, Monday to Thursday. And I think it'll be a great time as we celebrate the greater kingdom of God. As well, um, on Good Friday, we have both in-person and online services. As well, we have the same on Easter Sunday. And both of those are gonna be special services where our media team has done some great things uh, for folks at home to really experience and enjoy the true meaning of Easter. I'm so excited about it, and I look forward to what God has for us. You know, one of the greatest joys I have as a pastor is watching people grow in their Christian life. And one of the greatest joys I have is seeing people become all they can be in the Lord Jesus through a relationship with the living God. Now, I'm convinced as Christians that we live way below the level of privilege that we have as the children of God. We have an awesome God who has unbelievable blessings for us as followers of Christ, and yet many of us live as what I would call spiritual paupers. So for the past several weeks, we've been talking about the promises of God, the promises that God has for us, the things in which we can take to the bank, we can count on, we can stand on firm and solid ground, uh, knowing that we live as a child of the living God with his blessing and his joy upon us. So we've been looking into God's word uh, knowing that we can stand on his promises and without fear. The relationship we have with our Heavenly Father is a marvelous relationship. And so I'm excited that we've been studying this the past number of weeks, and today we come to a conclusion. Because I really want us to know as we kind of um, enter into the season of Easter, and as we look forward to coming out of COVID, that we can count on the blessings of God, and God has so much more for us going forward. And I'm convinced that every one of you desires to live in the fullness of God. And if I know Milton Bible Church at all, I really believe with all my heart that you want to be everything that God has called you to be, and you want to bring him glory in every conceivable way in your life. And so I'm excited that we've been looking at these promises of God, and I'm, I'm excited that we can go forward standing upon them. The truth is we've all been disappointed at one time or another. We know what it's like to have somebody promise us something and then not come through. 
Whether it's a family member, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a business relationship, whether it's at school, whether it's someone in the neighborhood or whatever it might be, we all know the pain of a broken promise. Whether uh, we get what we thought we would get or not, uh, we all know what it's like to live with that. Well, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he talks about this uh, relational kind of breakdown that was happening because of a broken promise. You see, the Apostle Paul had promised to go and visit Corinth, but for some reason, he was not able to. And the people there were, were um, uh, they were uh, uh, criticizing him, and they were saying, listen, um, your word, you know, you're one yes to one person and no to another person, or this is God's will, and then, you, and then it doesn't happen, you know. And what was happening was his credibility was being attacked. His credibility was being attacked. And Paul is trying to explain why he didn't stop by Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is what we read as he writes to the Corinthians. He says in verse 15 and 16, he says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. But because Paul couldn't keep his promise, the people in Corinth were criticizing him and were saying, hey, come on, buddy. Um, is your yes, yes, your no, no? Or are you just saying whatever you want to, you know, to, to please yourself and, and just making people promises you know, that, that you don't even intend to keep? So in verse 17, he says this. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? You can tell that the apostle's credibility is on the line. Even his apostolic authority, his, his ability to speak into the life of the church. And so because of that, he addresses this right up front in chapter 1. Why did he say he was going to come? Why did Paul do this? Why did he make a promise that he didn't keep? Verse 18 and 19, Paul says this. He says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. And I want you to take a look at the next line because I think this is one of the most exciting lines in the entire scripture. Underline it, highlight it, write it on your fridge. This is what Paul says next. He says in verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Let me repeat that. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. What Paul is saying is this. In Jesus, you can count on the promises of God. You can count on the fact that he died for your sin on the cross. 
that he rose from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, that he provided the salvation. You can count on those things, but not only that, you can count on all the promises of God in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in what Christ is saying to his church. Because all the promises of God find their yes in him. In Jesus, all the promises of God are yes. What an incredible verse. What an incredible promise. A promise that gives us hope for tomorrow and hope for today. You see, the objective for this sermon, the promises of God, is that during the time of COVID-19, a time of difficulty and uncertainty and disruption, there are things that we can count on. There's a rock that we can stand on. When God says he will do something, he will do it. And we can, we, we, and we can live on that. And we can count on that. You know, we're all used to promises. We live in a time of public relations. We live in a time of infomercials. We live in a time where if you want to watch a video on YouTube, you've got to watch a commercial first. Or, you know, it seems like there's more commercials than there are, you know, uh, programs on, on television, on cable TV these days. And it seems like we are being inundated with products that say you, it'll do this for you or it'll do that for you. And in some measure it does or it doesn't. Or how about politicians? You know, we've heard so many times about this is coming and that is going to happen and this is going to make a difference. And yet we still find ourselves, you know, in dire straits as we were a year ago. And people are just COVID weary. They're COVID fatigued. And that's what's happening now. Our society is not only used to hearing promises, but we're used to being let down. Now, you know what's amazing? What's amazing is God, who wants a relationship with us, a partnership with you and me, who have nothing. In fact, Jesus says that we can do nothing without him. In other words, you and I, we're a mess. We're helpless. We're hopeless. We are by far the weaker party. And that's why Paul says, listen, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, the stronger party, says, listen, I want to have a relationship with you. That's a relationship of love and blessing and promise. Uh, now, what's really amazing is that you and I, the weaker party, sometimes we say to ourselves, hey, I'm not sure I want to do that. You know, it's kind of like the mouse and the elephant. The mouse and the elephant, they walk across a bridge. And as the mouse and the elephant walk across the bridge, the bridge begins to shake. At the end, after the mouse and the elephant have walked across the bridge, the mouse looks up to the elephant, and says, man, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? That's the kind of relationship that God is calling us into. And like the mouse, we have absolutely no influence, no effect, 
and no power. Do you know the word synergy? The word synergy is kind of when two people come together and what they're able to produce is greater than the sum of themselves. It's kind of like when one plus one is greater than two. Um, the energy from the two is just profound and they accomplish much more than they possibly could alone. And um, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship with God that creates a lot of synergy. It's a wonderful word. It's a spiritual partnership. It's a bondedness that you and I tap into that makes us greater than we could ever possibly be by ourselves. There's a Peanuts cartoon in which Lucy is looking out the window and it's raining, it is pouring, it is really coming down. And Lucy says to her brother Linus, you know, Linus, um, it is raining so hard, it's like the days of Noah. And Linus says, oh, well, no, it's not. Because in Genesis chapter 9, God gave us a rainbow as a sign that the world would never be flooded again like that. And Lucy said, well, that is a comforting thought. And Linus says, well, sound theology does that for you. What we're looking at today and what we've looked at over the past weeks is sound theology. Sound theology, talking about the blessings of God on the people of God. We looked at six different uh, promises that God has made to his people. So today I want to go through them really quickly and then I'm going to just rapid fire six more. Are you ready? Here they are. First of all, we talked about God's promise of salvation. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God's promise of peace. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. God's promise of love that neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor anything will separate us from the love of God. There was a promise of his presence. The good, the bad, and the ugly. God is in there with us during all of it. Then there's the promise of freedom, the promise of, of freedom that's built on the foundation of grace. And then last week, Matt talked about the promise of suffering, that even in the midst of suffering, God would be there with us every step. Let me give you six more really quick. Here's six more. First of all, God hears our prayers. He promises to hear our prayer. He preserves the church in the midst of persecution, that even during these times of COVID, God will not abandon his church. Also, God rewards us for being faithful. God rewards the faithful. Tenth, uh, tenth promise that he will send his son Jesus back to earth one day victoriously. Jesus will lead the host of heaven in victory. And then number 11, he, God will turn our tragedies into triumph. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, All things work together for those that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Don't you love that verse? What an amazing promise. And then lastly, God promises to forgive us our sins when we confess our sins and to restore a right relationship with him again. Absolutely incredible promises. 
Now, pastor and theologian Sam Storm, uh, a guy I love and follow, um, in a reading of the Bible, a task, the task which took him a year and a half, he came up with a total of 8,810 promises in the Bible. He went through it meticulously and wrote down every single promise, 8,810. And 7,487 of those promises were specifically from God to us. That's almost 7,500 promises that this book, the Old and New Testament, makes to you and I, to our families, to our neighbors, to our communities, to the nations. And uh, so let me ask you, what promises are you standing on today? What promises are you standing on today? <laughs> 7,500, that's a lot. Listen, folks, I just named off 12 promises. And as we read them, we all have a feeling of comfort. And we all have a feeling of security. And we have a feeling, as we look at those 12 even, that God is in control and God is for us. Now, I have a question for you. With all those marvelous promises in God's word, here's my question. Are you ready for it? Why do Christians live beneath their privileges? Why do Christians live beneath their privileges? You know, I think one of the most amazing things to me is that the children of God who have this incredible opportunity and have this unbelievable relationship walk around as if we have no God, no protector, no one who's going to help take us through this difficult life in this difficult time. I'm always amazed at how many Christians just barely squeak by. Well, here's the good news. The good news is God is not the problem. God is not the problem. And you say, wait a minute. I knew that, Jim. And I would say, no, you didn't. Because you know what most people think? And so many people pray far too often, God, if you could just answer this one prayer, if you can just do this one thing, if you can just do, you know, if, you, if, if this one thing can happen, God, I'll do whatever it takes for you. And it's almost as if, you know, God is up in heaven saying, you know what, I'll try my hardest. I'll try my hardest, I'll do my best, I'll do my best, I'm going to give up my best shot. Listen, mellow out. God is okay. God has absolutely no inability to complete and keep the promises that he has made. You see, in Deuteronomy is a wonderful passage of scripture. It's a passage where um, it was impressed on me that God wanted the nation of Israel to be his people, a people for his name. So he made a covenant with them. And he said, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to meet all your needs. All I ask is that you love me. I mean, this was so important that God wanted to illustrate the spoken word 
with the written word, and he wanted to do it in a visual way. So what he did was he had, of the 12 tribes, he had six of the tribes stand on one mountain, and he had the other six tribes stand on another mountain. And in the valley, he had the priests, or the priests, the priesthood, um, they were standing, the Levites. And what happened, as the Levites read out the promises of God, the people of God on both the mountains said, Amen. And as the Levites read out promise after promise after promise, the people of God would say, amen. I will buy into that. I will agree with that. I will stand in on that. Man, I wish I was there. Just thinking about a scene like that gives me goosebumps as the word of God is declared and as it pours over the people of God and as the people enter into that covenant love relationship with God that God so desperately wants to have with us. You see, God, he wants us, he wants to bless us. He's not some cosmic killjoy, you know, up in heaven getting his jollies every time we mess up or bump our heads. God wants to bless you and he wants to bless me and he has all kinds of promises. And he's just saying, if you will enter in to that love relationship with me, if we will just have that passionate um, love uh, in, in, in between us and that you pursue me with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, then all of these promises and blessings are yours. And there are two purposes why God initiated and wants this covenant relationship with us. Two purposes. And in the passage, I wrote down per two purposes of the promises of God. So in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 10 to 13, we find the first purpose. The whole passage that you can read on this is Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 10 to 29. But the first purpose is found in those three verses. And I just want to read them to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 10 to 13, it says this. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner that is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. You see, God wanted this relationship so that the people of God would be established. Do you see what he says in verse 13? So that he may establish you today so that you might be established and that you might be um, set upon a firm rock in which you stand, not shaken, not knocked down, but protected, a place of strength. It's like the old hymn writer 
that said, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. God wanted to establish us. That's the first purpose of our covenant relationship with him. The second purpose of the covenant relationship is this, for the sake of others, for the sake of others. I'm going to read verses 14 and verse 15, because this covenant relationship wasn't just for our sake, but it was also for the sake of our children and our children's children and our neighbors and our communities. This is what it says in verses 14 and 15. It said, it is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. In other words, I want not only to bless you, but I want to bless the next generation. And I want to bless your neighbors as well. In fact, if you will abide in this covenant relationship, I will be a blessing to you and I will be a blessing to your children and your children's children. So exciting. I mean, we're grandparents for the first time. We, there's, this little, uh, there's this little one that's been born. And God invites us into this relationship, this covenant relationship where we pursue him and we love him and we walk with him like the mouse and the elephant. And he makes this promise to us that as we do that, he will be faithful to our children and our children's children. Absolutely outstanding. Wow. God promised that to them. He promised it to us. His promise of his blessing are spectacular. And do you realize how many people at the time that God was speaking to? They say that in Israel, um, the people that went through the desert were two million strong. Now that is about this, almost the size of the city of Toronto. The city of Toronto going through the desert and there Moses is leading them, leading them in the name of the Lord. And here they are whining and complaining and carrying on. I mean, what a great leader that guy was. But God is so faithful in all his blessings. Do you know what it's like to feed two million people in the desert? Do you realize what it would take just to feed two million people every single day? Well, some uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure, statistician uh, looked at that and said this is what it would take. In order to feed uh, that many people food, it would take 4,500 tons of manna to feed 2 million people. And to put it in a way that we can understand, it would be 10 trains with 30 cars behind each uh, engine that would have to pull up to the two million strong and feed them every single day as they wandered through the desert for 40 years. Absolutely incredible and spectacular. And we, we say, wow, that's amazing. That's impossible. But God says, listen, that's nothing because I have promised to take care of you. 
You know, I love the story about the little kid who's having his nightly prayer and he kneels beside his bed and he prays, Lord, will you take care of mom? Will you take care of dad? Will you take care of grandma? And God, most of all, will you take care of yourself? Because if something happens to you, we're all sunk. Here's the key. Here's the key. Passionately pursue God. Passionately pursue God. One of the promises of scripture that I love, Jeremiah chapter 29, many of you know it, verses 11 to 13, this is what it says. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What a powerful promise. A powerful promise. What's the key to unlocking the promises of God? What's the key that God gives us? It's a passionate love relationship for the living God. It's us going hard after God, loving his word, loving his people, embracing obedience, going for it, you know, with all of our hearts. You know what, during these days of COVID, after one year, one year of being in, in, in the midst of this pandemic, one of the things that we're discovering is that people having COVID fatigue, I mean, they're, they're looking at, at people promising, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and we're all gonna believe that. We're all gonna, you know, hope in that. But people are beat, people are, are, are whooped, people are tired. And there's a sense in which, um, you know, so many are discouraged. And so let me ask you something. How is your relationship with the living God right now? Have you, have you received Christ as Savior? Have you embraced him? Uh, have, you, have you believed in what he has done on the cross? That's the first step. And then secondly, you know, let's, let's, let's talk honestly. I mean, so many of us are worn out. This has been a tough year. And the truth is there's kind of a dullness that has set in in many parts of our lives, including spiritually. And what I want to do, what I want to see, what I want you to know is the blessing of God poured out. And the key to that is to go hard after him, to refresh our hearts, to say, Lord, the, the fire is low, the fires are dim. So Spirit of God, would you come in a fresh way and stir something up within us to make us hungry for you again, to light a fire within us that will be blazing again, a fire that perhaps we once knew but has grown so low. Would you pray that prayer with me? Would you have that heart with me? Would you be that person that says, God, you will be my greatest passion. I will be your people. 
and we will walk together going forward into a brilliant future, embracing the promises of God. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. So would you bow your head? And uh, let's ask God to do something really wonderful in our hearts today. Father, we want to just come to you and we want to declare our dependency upon you. We want to say, Lord, today we are hungry for you. We are thirsty. We need more of you in our lives. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would fill us. Fill us in a way that perhaps we've never experienced before. That you would fill us afresh with living water, with fire from heaven, with a passion for your name, with a love for you that is just overflowing, not just for ourselves, but for our families and for our neighbors and for our church, for our community, for our nation. Lord, stir in up something that, that only you can do. And we give our hearts to you. And we say amen to the promises of God. We say amen to the power of the living God being stirred up within us. Father, we want to go hard for you in the power of your spirit for the glory of your son. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. Church, I believe God has more for us. I am full of faith that these days are just the beginning, but our hearts need to be right. We need to be prepared. We need to be passionately pursuing God with everything we have. So let's go for it. Let's go hard after God. And let's see what he does as we put our little hand in his big hand going forward. Listen, as we enter this time of Easter, I trust that your heart is prepared. I trust that you'll just enjoy all that the truth and the reality of Easter has for us. Family, friends, food, celebration, rejoicing in the resurrection of Christ. These are such great days. God bless you uh, and keep you, and I so look forward to seeing everyone again soon. God bless. Have a great week. Love you guys. 